Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Exploring the life of David. Um, Jason brought us in uh, a little while ago in the first Samuel, and um, he was talking about David and the Goliath. Steve then kept the train moving along, and he was talking about um, uh, David and Saul, and then David and Mephibosheth, but both were very different stories. Uh, we see David running from a jealous ruler in Saul, while the next one we see David being a gracious ruler and inviting Mephibosheth into his presence. Um, but if, uh, if you didn't know... Um, who Mephibosheth was, Mephibosheth was actually Saul's grandson. So the very same Saul that was trying to kill David, Mephibosheth was his grandson. So back up, we're going to go into the account of, uh, that Jason took us through where uh, David was slaying a giant. This one little guy, David, was going to slay a giant. And the giant was... Goliath. He was no ordinary giant. He stood above everybody else. The whole Israel army was afraid of this one man. And I think um, uh, you all know the story. And it goes something like this. One stone, one sling, one dead giant. Doesn't that sound like something right out of a superhero trailer? Yeah? Or, um, I mean, really, it's hard not to like David. It sounds like he's an amazing guy because he was just a lowly shepherd boy. <laughs> Chosen above all odds to be the future king. When tested, David trusted in his powers, God, to slay the giant. I mean, it's really easy to like this guy. He's super likable, isn't he? Uh, David had some adversity in Saul. He was a jealous, egotistical, insecure. The current king wanted David dead. David was running and hiding through the the wilderness to to, uh, stay away from Saul because David knew this was not his right to remove the king. He had opportunity to kill Saul, yet he chose not to because it was not his right. God put Saul there. And he knew that was not his place. But I'm not going to go deep into these sermons. If you want to hear them, I mean, we got them all online. You can go back and read it yourself. Um, you can watch it on YouTube. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of a context as where we're going because eventually Saul would die and David would become king. And David was the opposite of Saul. Like he was the polar opposite of Saul. David recognized that he was in God's hands, and David consistently looked up to God. David was humble, he was kind, he was empathetic. I mean, he took Mephibosheth in, Saul's grandson, and had mercy on him and fed him and cared for him. So doesn't that sound like a great king? I think we can all agree that this was a great king and someone that we can marvel. Get it? Marvel? Yeah. All right. Thank you. My superhero nerds will get that. But um, David was a hero of the faith. 
And in the book of Hebrews, he was one of those heroes of the faith. And we already heard the author speak about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. But then it goes on to say in verse 32, so chapter 11, verse 32, and it says, And what more shall I say? For time shall fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jepheth, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the poor, a power of... Uh, Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, and became mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight. By all accounts, David was a hero, and he should be recognized as that. But what we're about to read and what we're about to hear and go through, it's going to make it really difficult to see him in that hero light. We are going to see the cracks in David's armor. David was a man that chased after God's own heart, but no matter how great the man was, in the account of David and Bathsheba, we discover he was still just that, a man. David sinned, and his sin was compounded, and it grew larger and larger, and he tried to fix it, and it didn't matter what he did. All our sin has a cost, but we are not to be kept captive to our sin because of God's grace. As we continue on today, you'll see David still consider is why he's still considered a hero of the faith. Um, and um, before we continue on, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to pray again, but um, I, I just want to recognize someone that we can consider a hero of faith. And uh, that is our, our dear sister in, in, uh, in Carisha. Um, she passed away uh, after a long battle with cancer. She was given two weeks at the initial time, and she fought on with faith and love and courageousness and a smile for a year and a half. The people she touched are insurmountable. And um, I just want to open up this morning with, uh, with prayer and um, be thankful that we get to all have Carisha in our lives. And if you haven't met Carisha, um, there's a little bit of her in all of us, I'm sure, um, because she didn't leave without impacting any one of us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word we thank you for your goodness and your glory, Father. We thank you that um, you've given us heroes of the faith that we may see who they are, Father, for what they are. Father God, that we are in need of the ultimate hero, the ultimate superhero, Father, and that is Jesus. None of these heroes of the faith compare to him, Father. And Father God, we just ask that uh, you be with us as we dive into your word. May it just be penetrating our hearts and sitting with us, and may we understand what you are setting out on, on us today. And Father, as uh, we continue on, Father, may our, our hearts be uh, directed towards you and Carisha at this time as she is dancing in your throne room. And she sees your face. 
Father, we know without a shadow of a doubt that she is, she is with you and she is in your presence. We thank you for that. We thank you for the security in that. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So David was dubbed the greatest king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. And the key word in that sentence, like I said earlier, is he was what? He was a man. David would fall prey to sin just like any one of us would. And I'm going to, uh, so I'm going to read out of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you guys want to turn there. And that'll be um, ESV for anybody that's following along. Uh, and it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged um, Rabbah. And, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of, of uh, Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness, then, this, then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent to David and told David, I'm pregnant. That is a pucker moment if I've ever heard one. And if you don't know what a pucker moment is, your eyes go like this, and everything else goes like this. That's like your mom using the full name, like I'm talking middle name and all. You know you are in trouble. So David messed up. David had a lapse in judgment, which is really interesting when you think about it because he was the king. So he would have judges and people kind of taking care of some of that small business, but anything big that happened, he was the authority. He should not have a lapse in judgment. But he took his eyes off what God wanted and fell to his own desires. So if we go back to the beginning of the verse and we see David wasn't even where he was supposed to be. David was home, lazing on a couch, taking a nap. And then he decided, hey, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go for a stroll. And then, he, you know, he's on the top of his roof and he's kind of looking down and, you know. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with this. This is, this is a beautiful life. You know, but he wasn't where God wanted him to be, what God anointed him to do, leading Israel. Not to say that Joab wasn't capable of leading his army. It said in, the, in verse 1, he ravaged them. They were ravaged. They were a capable army, so he felt comfortable with that. But it was supposed to be David. If we continue to place ourselves in situations that lead us into sin and remove our focus off of God... No matter how great the person is, 
we will eventually succumb to our sin. David's sin with Bathsheba led to a disaster. So much has gone right for him, but when he strayed from God's ways, so much went wrong. When David discovered that Bathsheba was married to Uriah, that should have been the end of it. He should have said, yep, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. Wrong, wrong eyes. I shouldn't have been looking at that. All right. But no, instead he used his authority to fuel his lust for her. David's eyes were removed from what God wanted and were squarely on Bathsheba. And the Gospel Project puts it this way. It says, this story, when we read it should, uh, with humility, should awaken us to the reality of our sinfulness and help keep us sober-minded and watchful as we seek to put sin to death through the power of the gospel. While David mastered sin on many occasions, in this instance, he was unable or unwilling he was unwilling to subdue its power against him. So sin became king and David became the servant. David became comfortable and he fell before his sin like his enemies had fallen before him. So, we can, we can, so how can we fix our eyes on Jesus in this sin-ravaged, deprived world? Because David couldn't. We see how fast things can spin out of control. One moment, David, like I said, was walking on his roof. He was comfortable. He just woke up from a nap probably, relaxing on his couch. And next thing, he's having sex with another man's wife. How quickly that spiraled out of control. Because David was comfortable. David was comfortable. We, and he was comfortable in his power. He was comfortable to allow an army to fight his own battles without him there. But we need to be cautious with this comfort. Because sin often comes out of comfort or being relaxed. When we become comfortable through the means of alcohol, drugs, sleep deprivation, or just creating a space where we feel we will not get caught, We tend to drift away from God and into our own things. Comfort is an anesthetic to our dependence on God. Our comfort provides so many temptations for our sins. The Bible warns us to be sober-minded. Like it says in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, David, in the middle of his sin, instead of turning to God, focusing his sight on God, decided to try and fix this himself. He decided to take matters into his own hands. David tried to hide his sin. He wanted to cover it up like nothing ever happened and hope that nobody ever noticed. Because we're going to read in verse 6 that that really didn't work. So David sent word to Joab 
So remember, Joab is his, his, his commander of his army, so we'd call him his general or something like that. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how, you know, how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, how the war was going. So he was being kind and courteous and like, you know, building up this little rapport with Uriah, who probably he really never talked to before, and nothing says that he did, but, but you know, you're being pleasant with him, building this kind of friendship rapport, um, all to just deceive him. But it didn't work. We're going to read on. And... Uh, David said to Uriah, I said, you know, go down to your house and uh, wash your feet. And Uriah went uh, out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. So king, like he was laying it on thick. He's like, you know, go on, go to your house. Don't worry about these other guys. They, they're okay. Go, go, go on, go get hot meal. You know, go say hi to your wife. You know, and, and I'll, I'll even boot it with some presents. Go on. Didn't work. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said, Uriah, have you, have you not come from a journey? Like, did you not come from a, a far enough ways away? Like, you've been fighting hard. Don't you want to go see your wife? Why did you go down... Um, why didn't you go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in the booths and my Lord Joab and servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live, so David, as you live and your soul lives, I will, do not, I will not do this thing. He was being the honorable one in this scenario. He was doing the right thing. Then David said to Uriah, uh, remain here today and tomorrow and, and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. So now he's holding him back. He's like, okay, I'm going to send all the army away and you know, I'm going to hold him here and that will deal with it. Plan A, bombed. It didn't work. He didn't do it. Like he didn't, he didn't, he didn't do what I thought was going to happen. So, because Uriah was showing integrity and doing what was right. And plan A failed bad, right? And David tried to trick Uriah into having sex with Bathsheba. So it looked like it was Uriah's. But um, it didn't work. So David moved to plan B. David kept Uriah back again for another day, rest and uh, with, from the rest of the army, and David needed to get Uriah to relax. He needed him to get comfortable. He needed to get him ready so he could do the dishonorable thing, to make poor decisions. So let's continue reading verse 13. And uh, it said, And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, 
He assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there was uh, valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And so some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. This was David's darkest hour. Plan A failed. Plan B failed. Now we went all the way to plan C, and that was killing Uriah. I mean, what's, what's going on in David's mind? What's happening in David's mind? How can this be an acceptable plan? That is the plan of a man who knew he messed up, and he messed up big. Not only did David compound his sin, but he drug Joab into it too the commander of his army. And David also had Uriah deliver his own death sentence. He's like, here you go, buddy. Make sure that gets to Joab. What is it? Don't worry about it. Just your own letter of death. That's all. No big deal. Ah, Go on. See you later. How often do we think we can outrun God? Because that's what David was doing. Did you like the slurp? Thanks. Um, how, how often do you think we can outrun God or hide from our sins? You can't outrun that. We should have learned that from all the way back in Genesis. You can't outrun them. You can't hide from them. We mess up, own it. Here's because like, it's a newsflash. There's, there's nothing we can do that hides from God's eyes. At the beginning, we were marveling at how David was. But at this point, it's starting to smell a little bit like Saul. It's starting to stink. Sin captures you, and we can become convinced that we must follow through on our selfish desires, and no one can get in our way. But pretty soon, we are doing things that we thought we would never do and we start to lose control. The Gospel Project says it this way. Sin as transgression. The word transgression means to cross over or to pass by and is often used in reference to uh, transgressing God and his explicit commands. When God gives a specific command as he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and when it When that command is disobeyed, transgression has taken place. In this sense, sin is law-breaking. David was breaking some laws, the laws that Moses, you know, had that hard time of pounding out in the tablet. He knew those laws, but he still broke them anyways. These laws were broken. He transgressed. David passed by what God wanted for him and didn't really care because it was his own desires. David had no desire to have a relationship with Bathsheba. There was no desire there. She was married. He was like, this is for me. There's no intentions of a relationship. Now he had to try and cover it up. 
All sin has a cost. For David, it cost so much, much more than he could ever imagine. God knows our sin, and our sin has consequences. Even after David thought he got away with it, he would be called out for it. See, we read at the end of chapter 11, and we find David still trying to clean up this mess. Uh, he's, he's still trying to sweep that proverbial dust under the rug, right? And David would end up marrying Bathsheba after she mourned the death of her husband, who didn't need to really die, but it was the end of David's plan, so he thought. And she would have a son. But like it said, we like I said, we can't outrun God. Our sins have consequences. And God sent Nathan to rebuke David. I like this part. Because it says in chapter 12, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were, So he's telling him a story at this point. But he doesn't realize, David doesn't realize that Nathan's telling him a story. So I want you to listen to this, this story here. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which, had, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd want to drink from the same cup as lamb. But cool, that's the story. That's where we're going with it. Um, but anyways, um, it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or her or heard to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was quickly kindled against the man. And listen when he says to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He is angry. David was quick to get angry. Little did he know. David was becoming fired up over someone else's thing, sin. Not too long ago, we were reading about David's sin. And little did David know, Nathan was uh, making a little trap there for David. And he walked right into it. So let's skip ahead to verse 7. And it said, Nathan said to David, you are the man. You're the man that you're angry at. Nobody else. You. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if there were too little, I would have added to you as much more. 
Why have you des uh, despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him. And with the sword of the Ammonites, now therefore the sword shall never, never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. That is an Old Testament mic drop if I ever heard one. Boom, you're the man. Thus says the Lord. Nathan was sent by God to lay it all out in front of David. David was devastated to see his sin so clearly. Because we read in verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. Grace of the Lord. I have put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, here comes the consequence. Because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. I don't know why. I don't know why God saw it fit to see that child pass. I don't know. I can't explain that. Maybe someday when we're standing face to face, we can ask him that. But it's not for us to know. But we realize he does die. But what I can say is, all our sin has a cost. But we are not captive to that sin because of God's grace. David was broken by the words of Nathan. However, David asked for forgiveness with a sincere heart. And God forgave him. We know that David succumbed to sin and, and none of us can escape sin in our own lives. However, no one is exempt from God's grace either. You can't outrun his grace. You can always succumb to God's grace because his grace is good. You can never escape that grace. But as we read in the psalm, uh, the psalm gives us a view of David's heart. Because uh, David is the known author of about 73 psalms. He's a known author. And as we read into Psalm 51, it is called a prayer for restoration. And this is a psalm that David wrote. So David wrote this psalm after he was confronted by Nathan about Bathsheba. And it reads, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I knew my transgressions and my sin is, is ever before me. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inner, inward being, and you teach me wisdom in my secret heart. 
Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness. O God, O God, my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Doesn't that sound like a sincere call of repentance? It broke him. It destroyed him to realize finally that his sin was put plainly in front of him, what he has done. And that couldn't been hit. it couldn't have been hidden. David sincerely repented of his sins. And what David did was evil, and God turned it around into something good. David was a humble and great king. But what David did to Bathsheba was dirty. It was wrong. Not only did he knowingly and willingly have sex with a married woman, but he tried to cover it up. And covering it up by killing Uriah. Drugged Joab into it as well, and David's actions hurt everyone in his path. For that, are we going to write David off as a hero of the faith? Are we going to just wipe it clean and say, yeah, that's dirty and I don't want anything to do with it? No, of course not. David is the key part of the narrative of the Bible. David is the one that they keep calling um, Jesus, the son of David. He's in the New Testament as a holy hero. Part of this story should be that what happened? He repented. He sincerely repented. He'd asked for forgiveness. He turned away from it. He tried to make it right with God. Nobody else but God. He was still seeking God's heart. And if we keep reading in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we'll read uh, verse 24, that David and Bathsheba have had another son together. Solomon. Yeah. And what happens there? He's the next king. So out of David and Bathsheba, out of something so dirty as, as, as sleeping with another man's wife and killing of Uriah, something so great as Solomon came out of that. God uses those things that were not meant for him and turn it around into his good, into his glory. Amen? So I could continue on with the things that happened to David during his reign, but we just don't honestly have the time. Because after that, David's, because um, like after this, uh, Steve's going on into Psalms. And then we're going to be in the first king. So this is the last time we're going to be really 
um, hammering back into um, Samuel. So uh, I'm just going to give you a little window, but I, I encourage you to read some of this for yourself. Because after this, uh, David's reign was not smooth at all. It was not smooth as butter, even though he decided to, you know, for, ask for forgiveness and truly repent. Things did not go well. Because if you remember, um, Nathan said, the sword shall never depart from your house. Which means that David's sins were forgiven, but his actions still had consequences. So David would have to deal with his sons repeating his downfall. So in, but in much more tragic ways, such as Amnon, that, who's David's son, would sexually abuse uh, Tamar, which is David's daughter. And then Absalom finds out and has Amnon assassinated. Like, like, like it's still like this huge mess of a story. And then Absalom decides to rebel against David and removes him from the throne. Well, he's still the king, but chases him out. And he, now he's hiding in the wilderness again. Does it, like, you know... David did not have it easy. But it would eventually, David would return to his throne after Absalom's death. So, I mean, David did not have this squeaky clean kind of ring, because then why would we need Jesus if this guy was the guy? Because we all need Jesus. Jesus is needed through this. Can we stand together? I'm just going to wrap up with this. The point I'm trying to make is we are imperfect humans. We are all imperfect. But we are following a perfect God. And if you get caught up with the thought that uh, when someone says they're a Christian that makes them perfect, then you're not getting the real picture. God can be the only perfect one in our lives. When we start to understand that, then uh, when, someone like, when someone sins who is in your life, it doesn't totally crush you. Like if myself or if Steve or another pastor or a mentor or someone that you look up to in the church sins, then you're not crushed, you're hurt, but it doesn't destroy your faith by that. It's when we decide to look in the person and not to Jesus, we're not doing it right. Focus your eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. That's where David messed up. David took his eyes off God. That's why God instituted grace. A plan to cover our sin debt. In Acts 4, 11 to 12, and it says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Through Jesus, we are saved. Through Jesus, we are set free. Through Jesus, we receive God's good grace. David's not our superhero. Jesus is our superhero. 
You guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for, for David, and we thank you for the things that we learned from him today, Father. We thank you that um, we need to realize that our eyes need to always be focused on you, and our, and our sins and transgressions may be forgiven through your goodness and your grace and your Son that you sent for us. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that... Um, those who are here today and are hearing my voice and listening to your message, Father, if they yet to know you, Father, I pray that they succumb to your goodness, succumb to your grace, and succumb to your glory. Father, that you are the good, good Father that loves us so much, Father, that you allowed your Son to come so that we, that we may have your grace and your goodness and your forgiveness placed on us. And Father God, I just pray that um, as we go out here today, Father, that we just reflect on that. We reflect that you are good. We reflect that you are great. And Father, as we go throughout our week and as we celebrate uh, time together as a family, Father, as we go and enjoy family camp, I pray that we continue to see your face. We continue to see your goodness and your glory through the week, Father. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word and your goodness. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. We're going to have a barbecue and a concert for family camp. And uh, you guys are all invited. <laughs>